Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And then Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. And about the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. And he embraced him, and he kissed him, And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Well, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him, But he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. And he has come back to life. He was lost. But now he is found. Well, last week I I shared with uh, those of you that were here, those of you at home, that this is my favorite scripture uh, in all of scripture because 
well, for so many reasons, but, but in it, Jesus encounters two groups of people, um, really, really different groups of people, and neither of which had any clue about the true heart of God. They had no idea who God was, really. A.W. Tozer once said that um, the most important thing, um, thing about you, the most important thing about me, is what you and I believe about God. That's the most important thing about us. And if God is real, then he is absolutely right. But I, I would say that thinking rightly and clearly about God is really, really tough. It's no easy task with the millions of opinions that are flying around about who God is and how God is, and also the millions of varied experiences that each one of us have had growing up, you know, wherever it is that we've grown up. All of that stuff has shaped uh, our perspective of God. And of course, you guys know that for centuries, uh, you know, centuries and centuries, God was seen as very, very holy. He was possibly seen as very severe. And um, we saw ourselves as having the monumental task of trying to get God to like us, to get God to tolerate us. We had to strive hard to appease an angry God. And today, um, I would imagine that most people think that God is maybe archaic, that, that God is a figment of our imagination, or that if he's real, he's just a total supporter of whatever it is that we want to believe about him. And if what you believe about God is different than what I believe about God, well, that's completely cool. That's totally fine, so long as you don't try to press your belief about God onto my belief about God. That's really where we draw the line. And so people's perspectives about God are always on the move, but it's so important because we base our lives on whatever it is that we believe to be true about God. And so having Jesus tell us so plainly, this is what my father is like. This is what it means to know him. This is his heart. This is his character is such an amazing gift to us because we can know the heart of God and we can know how to live for ourselves. And so Jesus's intention was to tell those people that he was talking to, his listeners, and to tell you and I what it means to be um, like God, what it means to be good. And, and what I hope, you guys, is by the end of the sermon, I hope that you will walk out of here kind of thinking, I know better now what it means, what it, what, it, what it truly means to be like God, what it truly means to be good. And you might even walk out going, I may not be as good as I thought I was, but I know what I have to work on. And so last week, um, I shared with you that, that there were three characters in the story that are seen, but there's an actually, there's an unseen fourth character in the story, right? The three characters that we know about in the story of the prodigal are the father, and the two boys, right? Well, there's a fourth character that we will uh, discover later on in the sermon. And so when Jesus was sharing this story, the reason he shared it is because he was standing before two groups of uh, very, very different people. The first group of people were the social outcasts. They were the irreligious people in a very religious culture, right? They were the tax collectors. They were the uh, the rebels. They were the people that rejected religion and common culture, normal people rejected them. 
But for whatever reason, something about Jesus won their heart. And so this group of people, this group of rejected people, loved to listen to Jesus. They loved to be with Jesus. He did something in their hearts, right? Luke called these people notorious sinners. And they loved Jesus. And they just wanted to hear more from him. Something about him Something about his ways touched their hearts. But then there was a second group of people, a second group in the crowd that came to listen to Jesus on this occasion. And this group of people, they were the Pharisees. They were the teachers of the law. They were the most religious, church-going people you could possibly imagine. And the reason that they were there listening to his teaching on that day was because of the other group of people. Because they began to notice that Jesus was attracting these huge crowds of followers bigger groups than they could possibly ever gather to themselves. And this meant that these religious insiders, these powerful people in the church, were losing power, they were losing influence, they were losing control, and they might have even been losing wealth. And so they were stirred up, and they were angry about this. So Jesus has this really, really mixed group in front of him, he, and so he tells the story of these two sons. One is this rebellious, prodigal son, and all the, the rebellious you know, tax collectors and rejects of society, they're like, we get that guy. But then Jesus introduces this other character, the older brother, right? And so what was the older brother doing when he was first introduced in the story? Do you remember? It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And where else would he be? Jesus paints the picture of this guy, this older brother, as a dutiful, responsible, obedient, and bitter and exacting and unmerciful man. And before we cast our judgments against the older brother too quickly, I want to share something with you guys. And it's this. In my family, I am and I have always been the older brother in every sense of the word. I always have been. I'm the oldest of three boys. I have never had a rebellious streak in me. I've always been dutiful. I've always been pretty obedient, or at least I've tried to maintain the appearance of obedience. I never even dabbled in many of the things that my brothers have done, my two younger brothers. When my brothers partied hard, I always held back and stuck pretty close to the straight and narrow, even before I was a Christian, you guys. I... Here's a little fact about me that most of you probably can't say. I have never, ever smoked a cigarette. I've never taken a puff. Not one. I don't know why, but I just never have, right? And so while I was, and, and, and you know, that's the other thing is that when I became a Christian, I stayed a Christian, unlike every other member of my family. That's just how I am. It's who I am. And so while I was dutifully saving my parents' gray hairs and taking pride in that, my two younger brothers were definitely living wildly and rebelliously. And I used to worry that my brother's friends were like bad influences on them. I'm like, you guys got to stop hanging out with those guys. And pretty soon I realized as I watched that it was my brothers that were bad influences on their friends. So I started talking to their friends like, you shouldn't hang out with that guy. He's crazy. Now, it's not so bad that either of my brothers have been to prison. They've never been to prison. But jail? Yeah, they've both been to jail a couple of nights in their life. No question about it. And I I remember um, one night when I was uh, in college, I got a phone call in the wee 
we are, you know, morning hours from one of my brothers. He said, Hey man, can you come, can you come bail me out? I, I, I got myself in some trouble last night. Uh, and I said very self-righteously, you got yourself into this mess. You can get yourself out of it. And I hung up the phone and I went back to bed. And that was it. Of course, this brother called the other prodigal brother, and without hesitation, that brother jumped out of bed, got into his car, and went and picked him up at the police station. No judgment there, no condemnation, just a humility that said, I have been where you are, I will be right over. And so unlike someone whose name rhymes with Schmevin, who thought to himself, I'm glad I'm not a screw-up like these guys, my younger brother was there for the other brother because he too was a prodigal. And so I have some experience with this elder brother thing. I don't know if you do or not. We'll find out. But let's look at this. So the younger brother comes to his senses, right? He's he's out there starving to death after he's screwed up so royally. And he says, you know what? I can maybe go home. Maybe my father will allow me to work at the family business, right? And so he comes home. And rather than being rejected, rather than being scolded, rather than being punished for what he's done, the father miraculously throws a party for him. And he embraces him and he kisses him and he gladly welcomes the younger son back into the family even after he has disgraced his father so, so badly. And it's like, yes, hooray for the younger son. We're celebrating that. Hooray for this amazing father. We love this guy, right? But now we come to the sad tale of the older brother. And I want to read about the older brother again for you. It says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. That's a pretty cool thing. Music and dancing as a celebration for coming back home. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Well, your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. Well, the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. And so his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all of these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. My my track record with you, dad, is perfect. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat to feast with, with my fr- feast with my friends. And yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And so, instead of rejoicing with the father and with the rest of town that his younger brother is home safe, the older brother is angry and he's bitter and he refuses to come into the party very conspicuously and he shamefully requires that the father leave the party to come out and plead with his son to join in the celebration. And so we see, you guys, that it's the older brother's turn to shame the father. And rather than softening his heart towards the father, when the father pleads, he yells at his dad. After everything I have done for you, I've slaved for you, I've never asked anything of you. And look what it's gotten me. Absolutely nothing from you. But this son of yours, there he is like completely disavowing his brother. This son of yours comes back after he's used you for your money. He's lived a disgusting life and you throw him a party. You have lost your mind, old man. That's what he said to his dad. He's completely rebuking the father. What a jerk, right? Are you with me? I mean, what's wrong with this guy? Why is the older son so angry? 
Well, if we dig into it, we might realize and understand and possibly even resonate why he is so angry. And I want to start with this. The older brother, he actually never understood the enormity of the father's love. The older brother, he had a a poverty mindset that told him that there's only so much to go around. There's only so much love to go around. There's only so much good stuff to go around. There's only so much wealth to go around. And he had to work hard. He had to always be there. He had to never slip up in order to get what was coming to him. I wonder, do you guys, do you guys ever, do you ever have sort of that, that poverty thinking where you feel like you have to be pretty good? to get God to like you or even to love you, that you have to, you can't have screwed up too badly. Otherwise, God will be upset with you. He'll turn his back on you. Do you ever that, have that poverty thinking? Do you ever think about how um, somewhere in the deep, deep recesses of your heart where you wouldn't ever share this with anybody, but other people's successes mean your loss, where their gain is your loss because there's only so much good to go around. Maybe that happens at the workplace or something. I'm going to share with you a story, and you have to know I got permission to share this because you are not going to like me after I share this story if I don't tell you that I got permission. Um, but I am, of course, married to an identical twin, right? And that means that Molly has a counterpart in this world named Mary, and I actually have a counterpart in this world named Evans because uh, the younger sister in the Vlada family is unmarried, and so there is another guy in the world that's married to the identical twin. And so Evans and I have this great friendship, and we have an interesting relationship because of that. And um, it... Uh, you know, just to be honest with you guys, when Molly and I got married early, early on, it took me a few years to get my stride in terms of being married to someone, right? Um, and I know that's probably true of most people that are married, but it definitely took me a couple years, and it has definitely taken Evans some years to figure this out. And pretty early on when he was married, uh, after he and Molly and I got married first and then Mary and Evans got married a couple years later and pretty early on, um, we were celebrating Christmas Eve at Molly's parents' house in Libertyville and Evans had to work that day in the city and, uh, and so he worked during the day and then he was going to come home for dinner and the, the gift opening that was happening on Christmas Eve. And so, uh, somebody asked me, would I go to the train station and pick Evans up? And I said, sure, no problem. And so, so I went to get Evans at the train station, and when he jumped in the car, he said something that was music to my ears. He said this, hey man, I haven't gotten Mary anything for Christmas. Can we stop at the Walgreens? And I was like, yes. Yes, we can. We could totally stop at the Walgreens so that you could get your wife some Christmas gifts. And so we stopped there, and I think he got her like a teddy bear and some Russell Stover's chocolates and a couple of magazines, right? Now, I routinely, especially early on when Molly and I got married, I would buy her gifts for Christmas, and usually I'd get it a week ahead of time, and it would come roughly wrapped, and for whatever reason, I was stuck for the first decade in this purse-buying thing, and what would happen is, is I would buy her a purse, she would open it up at Christmas, and all of the sisters would cackle in unison, and then Molly would very gently say, did you save the receipt? That was it, right? But when Evans had to stop at Walgreens, I just thought, 
this guy is making me look so good right now. I love this. And so really from that point on, Evans and I have always joked about how the best thing we could do for one another is really screw up, right? You know, like if I have a bad fight with Molly, I say, hey, I got good news for you. He's like, what? I'm like, I just really blew it with Molly yesterday. He's like, thanks for sharing. That feels really good. (laughs) So the point, you guys, is, is that that mentality that someone has to screw up so that we can feel better is poverty thinking. It's older brother thinking. It's Pharisaic thinking that someone else's loss is our gain. And so that was the heart of the older brother. He was livid with the father because he had earned this inheritance. And the father was being so disgraceful, just lavishly giving this inheritance to the son who didn't deserve it. He was rewarding the son, the, the older brother thought, for his bad behavior. But you know what? I don't know. Maybe in a certain way, maybe the older brother was, was absolutely right. Maybe we could understand why he was so angry. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but in the culture of their day in in ancient Israel, when families uh, did inheritance, when the inheritance was passed down, um, the way that it worked is that a double portion of the inheritance was given to the oldest son, and then the rest of the inheritance was divided up among the remaining sons. And so in this particular case, where there were two boys, the father's estate would have been divided into thirds. And the older son would have gotten two-thirds, and the younger son would have gotten one-third. That's how it worked. And so when the younger son rejected the father, he took his third of the estate, and he wasted it all away. But now he comes back, and the father welcomes his young son back into the family with open arms. He is now the father's son once again. And you know what that means, don't you? The father wanted to fully reinstate the, fa- the son into the family, but someone had to pay. Someone had to pay for this. The father's love for the son was unconditional and the young son was forgiven as if he he had never sinned at all. Does that sound familiar to you guys? That's the way the father welcomed the son back. But who would pay the price for this coming back? Who would pay the price for this being fully reinstated as a son? Because what remained of the father's estate now belonged to the older brother. And when the father came out to plead with the older brother to come into the party, the older brother was just so angry. He said, you've never given me anything. And the father rightly replied, everything that I have is yours. It's all yours. But if this rebellious son comes in once again to be a son again, well, then the father wants to divide up the estate once again. That's why the older brother is so angry because of all of his diligence, because of all of his hard work, he discovered that the inheritance couldn't be earned after all. It couldn't be controlled with good behavior. He discovered that his crazy prodigal father would just give it all away, no matter how hard he tried, no matter what he did. Do you guys remember the definition of prodigal? It's spending money and resources freely and recklessly, wastefully being, being wastefully extravagant. 
having something or giving something on a lavish scale. That is the love of the father. It's the love that this father had for his boys, for both of them. And it's a beautiful picture of the inheritance of love that God the father has for every one of us. Not just church, for those of us that are in. Not just for those of us that are sitting in this room listening, but for those that are outside the walls of this room that you couldn't possibly imagine would belong here. Wouldn't possibly imagine could be loved by God. That is the reckless, unabated, lavish love that the father has for his kids. That's the love that the father had for his lost son in the story. But someone had to pay. And in the story, the older brother was embittered because of his poverty mindset and he refused to go into the party because it was so costly to him. And so who is this mystery figure in the story? Well, if anybody ever asks you guys a question about who somebody is in church, who's the safe answer? It's Jesus, right? In the story, Jesus tells us about the three characters. They're obvious. The father, the disgraceful younger son, and the equally disgraceful older son. But one character is very present in the storytelling, but invisible in the story itself. And of course, it is Jesus. Because Jesus was the true older brother. He was the brother that the younger brother needed. What is a true older brother? And by the way, if you're a woman, then just think true older sister, think younger sister. That's totally fine. But who is the true older brother? The true older brother is the one who will look and look and look and look until his lost younger brother is found. The true older brother will sacrifice everything and endure anything so long as he can find and rescue his beloved younger sibling. The amount of effort won't matter at all to the older brother. The cost won't even be considered so long as he can find and bring home his lost and struggling and starving younger sibling. He'll gladly pay in blood and sweat and tears. He'll even pay with his life for his younger brother. And sadly, in this parable, the younger brother didn't have a true older brother. He had a cold, uh, uncaring, stifling, religious older brother who looked great on the outside, but on the inside, he didn't live as a true older brother. And in the end, both of the sons were rebels against the father. Both of the sons needed a true older brother. But in the end, listen, this is crazy Only the crazy, rebellious son went into the party. The religious older brother never made it in. And so I want to give you guys a couple of challenges that I feel are really, really challenging that Jesus was uh, calling us to in this story. The first thing um, that I believe Jesus is calling each of us to, are you guys okay, by the way? You okay? The first thing that I believe Jesus is calling us to is that we do this very religious thing, this very religious word. The word is repent. I believe that Jesus is calling us to repent, to turn. And here's what I mean by that. I mean a couple of things. First of all, I mean that we choose, we choose in our hearts, we choose many times a day to receive this lavish, extravagant, reckless, unmerited love and grace of the Father as we lay down at the same time our poverty mindsets that would tell us that his love can be earned, that it can be worked out, that we can control it. It cannot be controlled. It cannot be earned. 
It can only be received with gratitude as we turn away from our own rebellion, as we turn away from living in a way where we have control over our lives and we have control over the riches of the Father, where we don't live in such a way where we think, I deserve this. You should give this to me because of everything that I've done for you. That's what it means to repent. It means that we change our minds and we turn away from being the ruler of our own lives, giving to get, and instead we do a trust fall into the grace and the mercy and the care and the goodness of God, especially when we feel that we least deserve it. And so the first challenge of Jesus is to repent of what is likely sometimes our younger brother rebellion. And I, I want you guys to know that I, I believe that for every one of us, there are times where we act like rebels. We act like tax collectors. We act like we reject the whole thing. And if you say to yourself, I don't do that. First of all, you're probably wrong. Um, but check the hard things. Check the things that we care a lot about. I, I just, you know, sometimes I wonder, um, how do we do with our finances? Do we submit the way that we do our finances completely to God, completely in, in a scriptural way? How do we see and live out our sexuality? Those are areas where our culture is pressing hard on us. And it would be so easy for us to just let ourselves be taken along with the culture. And when we do that, we are rejecting the wisdom of God and the purposes of God. And so we may be more rebels than we think. And there's probably many other issues that you guys could think about. But um, at other times, we may need to repent of our older brother, hard-hearted, pharisaic thinking that makes us cold and uncaring like I was towards my little brother when he was in jail. Is it possible that we, you know, and I actually asked for that song that talks about going to every nation for Jesus. I was asking that we would sing that song because church, we are not just some suburban little Christian community that's supposed to enjoy life and enjoy our fellowship. That's not what this church is about. I'm glad that we love each other. I'm glad that there's great community here, but I care much, much more that we are true older brothers and sisters that will go and find our lost younger siblings, the ones that the father is looking so hard for. I want us to be true older brothers and sisters because your world, in your world, the people that you see, the people that you work with, the people that you, you know, wherever it is that you come and go, that is your world. And there are people in your world that need a true older brother, that need a true older sister. And they may be on the run from their father, or they may be desperate to come back to the father and they just don't know how, and they just need a true older brother or an older sister to come and find them. They need someone who will sacrifice so much for them. They need someone who is willing to pay in blood and sweat and tears and time and energy and money, embarrassment, whatever it takes to bring them home. Someone has to pay for them. Someone has to pay. And the cost to win them, win them back home to the Father will likely be high. It will cost you. It will cost you comfort. It will cost you time. It will make you a little bit embarrassed. It will shake you. Someone will ask you questions that you can't answer. Are you willing to pay the price like the true older brother? 
Jesus paid with his life so that both of those brothers could be welcomed home. And in your world, someone needs a true older brother, a true older sister. My ask is that you will become that. That is what it means to be good. It means that we have the heart of the Father. We are all prodigals. We are all givers of lavish love, lavish mercy, lavish generosity. And we are all older brothers and sisters because we carry the one older brother in our hearts, Jesus. And your world needs you. Your world needs a true older brother and an older sister. Amen? Why don't we stand up? I would be remiss to not remind you, because we kind of end, ended on a hard challenge there. I would be remiss to not remind you that there is an incredible party, an incredible party with singing and dancing and joy, and I believe food, when just one comes home. And I can just imagine you guys, the joy on God's face as you show up dirty and sweaty and quite honestly, just poorer, but with one of his lost kids with you. The joy and the celebration that happens when just one comes home because the father is looking down the lane. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And the the Lord is asking, would you join me in that? Jesus is asking, would you become a true older brother, a true older sister right along with me? So let's pray about that for a moment. Uh, Father, I, um, I repent. I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for the ways that I have so often um, been an older brother in the worst sense of the word, where I have been Pharisaic, where I've been uncaring, where I have turned away, turned a cold shoulder, Lord, because um, I just didn't care enough. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just touch each of our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you bring just a godly conviction and uh, along with it, a resolve to be like you, Jesus, the true older brother. Let us be, let us be a people of incredible, lovely, powerful love and mercy and grace and generosity of spirit. And let us be so ready to go after our lost siblings that need you so much. Lord, let us pay the price. Take it out of our inheritance, Lord. Holy Spirit, just do what only you can do in the hearts of this room. I... I, I just know that there are many in here that are saying yes to this. So good.